most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, June 15th, 2022, the 511th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. If you are listening on Substack, you are listening in the right place. The only place that you can hear these episodes on the day that they're released. If you are listening on another platform on a day that is not Wednesday, June 15th, 2022, and you're wondering why you are behind the times, what you need to do is go on over to Substack, sign up for a paid subscription. You can do that for as low as $5 a month or $50 for the entire year. That is literally less than a quarter per episode, and you will get immediate access to all the writing when I first post it as well. And of course, a huge thank you to all of you who have done that so far. You are making it possible for me to continue doing this show the way I like to do it, devoting as much time as I do to this entire process. Also, if you feel like making your life more comfortable and you need some pillows or some slippers or some blankets or some towels or some sheets, you go on over to MyPillow.com Use the promo code reasonable and you'll get up to 60% off items across the entire MyPillow store. There's a bunch of buy one, get one free offers and you'll get a free gift. Mike Lindell's book when you order MyPillow.com promo code reasonable. So another Wednesday episode means we just went through another Tuesday round of primaries around the country. There were a few notable races Last night, Jim Marchant won in Nevada, and he will be the Republican candidate for secretary of state there. He is a big proponent of fixing election fraud around this country. So that is a very positive development. Russell Fry beat Tom Rice in South Carolina. Tom Rice is a traitor to his country. He was one of the 10 rhinos who voted to impeach Donald Trump in the second fake impeachment, the one that happened after Donald Trump, quote unquote, stopped being president for his part in the very violent insurrection. He was shown the door. Nancy Mace, another South Carolina rhino, beat Katie Arrington so far, the same way that Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger won in Georgia which is to say almost definitely as the result of fraud. And then Mayra Flores won a special election in Texas last night. Now, whenever we talk about elections in this day and age, it's one thing to talk about the results as we are shown by the television and by the internet and through the official sources. But we have seen and we know conclusively, that none of those results and none of those narratives should be trusted. So they should be examined as if they are true and examined as if they are completely and totally false, which they very likely are. I have been saying this since the very beginning, since Glenn Youngkin was declared the winner in the Virginia governor's race last year. And it's Times like these where you have to remember the 
great American film, White Men Can't Jump, and quote the great Rosie Perez when she said, sometimes when you win, you really lose. And sometimes when you lose, you really win. And sometimes when you win or lose, you actually tie. And sometimes when you tie, you actually win or lose. And that's pretty much where we are in elections right now. So I want to go through these races and talk about what we might be able to learn from these outcomes as reported and whether or not we actually won or lost or tied. And I want to first go to the great CNN.com and their amazing political analyst, Chris Saliza, who is basically admitting defeat on multiple levels that he is unaware of because he is so focused on the one. The headline of his article this morning was Tuesday was a very bad political omen for Liz Cheney. Hey, Chris, perhaps no one in the CNN newsroom told you this, but this is supposed to be a big week for Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney is the star of the final season of Very Violent Insurrection, the J6 Spectacular. And she is one of the lead actors for this final season. It is her story arc that is meant to be enduring after the final episode ends and we all say, really? That's how they decided to end it? Dexter just ends up at a lumber mill in the Pacific Northwest? No spoilers, no spoilers. But the episode ends and then we think, Hey, what happened to that other character? Sure, the ending of this TV show was absolutely terrible and makes me question why I watched any of it to begin with. But I was really interested in that one character. That one character, man, she seemed like she had a future. I was ready to follow that Liz Cheney storyline to the end. This is supposed to be her big week where... The people of the country just throw roses at random cars, hoping that it's hers. That is how much normal Americans want to celebrate Liz Cheney. But the final season of Very Violent Insurrection, a J6 extravaganza, is not going as planned. And Liz Cheney's chances to have a spinoff launched all about her character are now really dwindling. And who would expect Chris Saliza to be the guy that really twists that knife in? But here we go. For Liz Cheney, Tuesday was a bad day for her political future. And right out the gate, we have an absolutely terribly written sentence. Hey, here you go, Chris. I'll help. Tuesday was a bad day for Liz Cheney's political future. That's how you write it. Not for Liz Cheney. Tuesday was a bad day for her political future. You idiot. How does he have a career as a professional writer? Well, he's prepared to say anything. South Carolina rep Tom Rice, who, like Cheney, was one of 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump in the wake of the January 6th, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol, was crushed in a primary by state rep Russell Fry, who ran with the former president's endorsement. The impeacher was ousted without even a runoff. Trump posted on his social media website, Truth Social, a great night. Hey, Chris, Truth Social is not just a website. It is an app. It is a social media platform. If you were a real journalist, you would go on there yourself so that you actually knew what the rest of the country was saying. You would recognize that the social media apps you use are all censored and you can't get a sense of what the reality is for most of America by going to censored social media apps. Rice is the latest Republican to watch their political future disappear in the wake of their vote to impeach Trump. So I guess we're doing some strange pronoun thing here already. Representatives Kinzinger of Illinois, Katko of New York, Upton of Michigan, and 
Gonzalez of Ohio, have announced their plans to retire at the end of this term, a decision forced on them, at least in part, on the negative reaction from their constituents to the impeachment vote. The five incumbents who remained on the ballot this year faced decidedly uncertain futures. Washington GOP reps Dan Newhouse and Jamie Herrera Butler faced Trump-endorsed challengers in their August 2nd primary fights. Ditto Michigan GOP rep Peter Meyer in the state's August 2nd primary. California Representative David Valadao is currently in second place in the 22nd Congressional District in the state, where the top two vote-getters, regardless of party, move on to the general election following the June 7th primary. CNN has yet to project the second candidate who will advance in the race. Valadao is the only one of the 10 who did not face a Trump-backed opponent. Now let's pause on that for a second. We were talking yesterday about how California still has not called their races and that that was likely due to the ability to continue manipulating races up and down the ballot in the jungle primary structure. Of course, they sent all their favorite Democrats through, but you got to figure out who they're going to be going up against this fall because you wouldn't want to have to make them face off against a Trump style candidate, someone who would actually want to debate them, someone who might actually call them out for all of the corrupt and terrible things that they're doing. But that race is still undecided. He's the only one out of the 10 rhinos who voted to impeach Trump in the second fake impeachment after he had already, quote unquote, left office for the totally factless claim that Donald Trump incited the very violent insurrection who does not have a Trump endorsed challenger. And that's relatively unsurprising because we are told that California doesn't like MAGA, obviously false. I was at a Trump rally in the fall of 2020 in Beverly Hills, and there were thousands of people there, trucks driving up and down the street, blaring music, honking their horns, people out of sunroofs, waving Trump flags in Beverly Hills, California. But I digress. We'll see how that goes. Regardless, five of the 10 impeachment traitors are already finished. But the race that has drawn the most attention and money from national Republicans and Trump is in Wyoming, where Cheney, the vice chair of the House Select Committee investigating January 6th, faces a Republican primary against Harriet Hageman, who has the former president's endorsement. Cheney's vote to impeach Trump has already cost her a slot in House Republican leadership. Trump has repeatedly attacked her, saying of Cheney at a recent rally for Hageman in Wyoming, she's the face of the Washington swamp and the same failed foreign policy of the Clintons, Bushes, the Obamas, the Bidens, and the entire sick political establishment. Well, that's all correct. Rice's defeat sends a chilling message to Cheney and the other remaining members of the Trump 10. Why? Because aside from his vote to impeach Trump, he was a down-the-line conservative and committed backer of Trump's policies. Rice has a 92% score from Heritage Action, the conservative think tank. According to 538, Rice voted with the Trump agenda 94% of the time. 94% exclamation point. And we are all supposed to believe that that means he is a true principled conservative. His voting record is close enough to Trump's priorities based on the votes they analyzed to call him a staunch conservative. We're supposed to believe that. But here's the thing. We don't care if you vote with Trump about a bunch of things. We care if you vote with Trump about the right things. And most of all, we care that you vote based on principles particularly the principle that you vote in a way your constituents understand and respect. Do you have to vote with your constituents every single time? Well, no, but you better be able to go out there and justify it and explain it 
based on something more substantive than what you saw on TV. Oh, the very violent insurrection was so horrible and upsetting. We need to go out and punish someone. Let's punish them. Very, very bad. Very bad. You are a bad boy. A bad, bad orange boy. Well, good call, Tom Rice. Now your career is over. No one except fellow rhinos, the RNC, and the GOP elite establishment gives a damn what your voting record is as assessed by Heritage Action and 538.com. If you vote to impeach a quote-unquote former president so he can't run again, over something he didn't do, you're toast. And that's that. What those numbers make clear is that Rice lost on Tuesday and lost badly for one reason and one reason only. He voted to impeach Trump. The rest of his decidedly conservative and pro-Trump record didn't matter. Voters decided that he was not Trumpy enough solely because of his impeachment vote. And again, hey, Chris, your Trump derangement syndrome is showing. We don't care if candidates are Trumpy enough. This isn't about Trump. This is about principles. This is about representing constituencies. If you don't have principles and you don't represent your constituency, no one cares if you're quote unquote Trumpy. But back to the excellent writing by Chris Saliza, wherein he starts a new paragraph like this, which is very bad news for Cheney, who is basing her campaign on the idea that while she and Trump don't see eye to eye on impeachment and January 6th, she is the sort of conservative who Wyoming voters have consistently sent to Congress. For what it's worth, Cheney has an 87% rating from Heritage and voted with the Trump agenda nearly 93% of the time per 538. So do you understand now? Liz Cheney is exactly like Donald Trump in every way that Chris Saliza believes matters to us. It's just that she and Trump don't see eye to eye. On little things like impeachment and January 6th, you stage a very violent insurrection with agent provocateurs. You have members of Antifa like John Sullivan present. The Capitol Police initiate violence all after Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and the rest of leadership and Muriel Bowser, the mayor of D.C., refuse Donald Trump's offer of assistance from the National Guard, 20,000 National Guard troops to keep the peace in Washington, D.C. They refuse that all. They initiate violence with civilians. They kill and beat civilians on video they won't release. And then they jail other American citizens without trial for a year and a half now in horrible conditions. They chased down Many of those people using the exact same cell phone tracking data that they suggest does not exist in the context of 2000 mules. And then you spend the next year pretending to investigate that incident while not dealing with any of the legitimate evidence that works in direct opposition to the story you're trying to tell. And you use all of that to call Trump supporters domestic terrorists and try to destroy their lives. But sure, it's about not seeing eye to eye with Donald Trump. She is also not the kind of conservative Wyoming continuously sends to Washington. And I say that first and foremost, because she is essentially just a citizen of Virginia who went and carpet bagged the only congressional seat in Wyoming on the back of her father's power. She used nepotism to gain power through a corrupt institution. And then she used that power to work in direct opposition to the will of her own constituents. 
And that is why she has been kicked out of the Wyoming Republican Party. And 70 plus percent of Wyoming Republicans can't stand her. But no one uses that kind of knowledge on Twitter. So apparently Chris Saliza is unable to find it anywhere else or it just simply doesn't exist. If it's not on Twitter, it's not real. It's like all of our friends and family who still haven't woken up and they say to you about any issue, if that was true, they would have told us. They don't understand how it's possible that big things can happen in the world and the television simply won't bother telling them or they'll say the exact opposite. They just can't wrap their heads around that. They think that there is some important standard that the television news or newspapers or big tech actually hold themselves to. Like there's some objective standard beneath all this just because they say there is. They'll give them the benefit of the doubt forever. They don't understand how the TV and newspapers and big tech can all be wrong about the same thing in exactly the same way over and over and over again, as if they all have some uh, agenda that requires that sort of collaboration. No, no, it is just simply too hard to understand. But back to the article to finish this off. The simple fact is that at least based on what we know, voting to impeach Trump over January 6th is totally disqualifying in the eyes of Republican voters. That doesn't mean that all of the remaining Trump 10 will lose, but it sure doesn't look good for them. So there we have the official story. The official story has now embraced the idea that people who voted for Trump's impeachment over that nonsense after Donald Trump wasn't even president anymore, so they say, are getting crushed in their elections. They are now accepting that direct link. If you voted for Trump's impeachment, you are gone. Now, that's in direct opposition to the narrative they keep pushing that Trump's endorsement is less and less meaningful, that Trump's endorsement is running out of power as this year progresses, that Republicans are actually gravitating toward the center because, and we're going to be told this quite a lot, what they need is to begin appealing to some more centrist Democrats who are frustrated with Joe Biden as we move toward the general election. And if they can sell that notion on a semi-effective basis, then they have a narrative that allows them to shove a bunch of rhinos back into the Congress and the Senate and just wipe their hands and say, oh, wow, the GOP, they really had a great year. Thank goodness we have all these rhinos. And what do we get? More uniparty politics. So South Carolina, story one, the Trump candidate wins over someone who voted to impeach Trump. What is our takeaway? What do they want us to believe? They want us to believe that that impeachment vote is powerful enough for Trump endorsed candidates to win on all by itself. And since we already understand that and know that we accept that rationale and we don't look any more deeply at the race itself, we say, yep, that's a win. We knew we had that one. And therefore, what? Therefore, the election must have been free and fair and accurately counted because we got the result we wanted. And we say, oh, well, South Carolina has no fraud. Would you look at that? That's so great. South Carolina runs free and fair elections, and now we don't have to talk about election fraud, even though in the same state, Nancy Mace just beat Katie Arrington, a Trump endorsed candidate. Is Nancy Mace that popular? Of course not. But you can't make Nancy Mace the winner and Tom Rice the winner, or people would start to get the wrong idea that election fraud actually happened in Lindsey Graham, South Carolina. And no one would believe that. Lindsey Graham is such a strong MAGA Republican. Lindsey Graham couldn't have stayed in office for four decades based on election fraud. I mean, sure, he's corrupt and as compromised as any politician in the country. He was involved with John McCain 
in going over to Ukraine and propping up the neo-Nazi Bandera elements and shoving them into the Ukrainian government after being part of the coup that replaced Ukraine's government in 2014. That Lindsey Graham, no, he could not be involved in the national election fraud apparatus. There is just no way. That is not how he keeps his power. Oh, wait, it is exactly how he keeps his power. So is it surprising that Nancy Mace won? Did voters in Nancy Mace's district not realize that Nancy Mace was part of the Uniparty, that she was part of the problem? Do they not understand her position on the communist gender agenda, among other things? She's not a real Trump supporter. So how does that happen? In one part of the state, Tom Rice, the incumbent, loses specifically because he voted to impeach Donald Trump. And in another part of South Carolina, we are expected to believe that the Republicans over there are just so much less conservative. They're, you know, more urban, suburban Republicans. Maybe they're going to tell us that they're a little better educated. And what they really want is a centrist like Nancy Mace. But no one would ever believe that. The key here is that we don't think about election fraud at all. We spend all our day analyzing what the results the TV has told us say about what the country thinks of Donald Trump and how this might affect things in the fall. That's not the discussion, but let's keep going. This is from the Texas Tribune. Republicans flip U.S. House seat in South Texas, historically a Democratic stronghold. And you say to yourself, wow, look at that red wave. This is amazing. We've got this new Republican seat in this formerly Democratic stronghold. What does it mean? Republican Myra Flores prevailed Tuesday in a special election for an open congressional seat in South Texas, marking a major breakthrough for Republicans eager to blaze new inroads in the historically blue region. She beat Dan Sanchez, the leading Democrat, outright in the closely watched race and will be the first Mexican-born congresswoman. She will get to serve only until January, but Republicans heralded her win as a shot of momentum in their new South Texas offensive. And I mean, first of all, it's really strange that all the wokes aren't out holding up signs and cheering for Myra Flores, the first Mexican-born congresswoman. That's kind of an accomplishment, is it not? Do we not celebrate those kinds of things anymore? Why isn't it being celebrated? If you don't celebrate something like that, you are clearly a white supremacist. What part of the rationale am I not understanding? With all precincts reporting Tuesday night, Flores had 50.98% of the vote and Sanchez had 43.33%. There were two other lesser known candidates, Democrat Rene Coronado and Republican Juana Cantu Cabrera. In the race, Sanchez is a Harlingen lawyer and former Cameron County commissioner, while Flores, a respiratory therapist, is the Republican nominee for the seat in November. Speaking a little after 930 p.m., Flores declared victory and said her campaign took no one for granted. For over 100 years, we have been taken for granted, she said at her election night party in San Benito. I will show you what real representation looks like. I will represent all people. Sanchez conceded in a statement that pointed the finger at national Democrats for not doing enough to defend the seat. They had argued the race was not worth the investment. Based on the results, we came up short tonight, despite being outspent by millions of dollars from out-of-state interests and the entire Republican machine, he said. Too many factors were against us, including little to no support from the National Democratic Party and the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. So the incumbent Democrat is saying that the party did not invest in this election, did not invest in him, and that is why he lost. Now, looking at how elections were funded in 2020 using Mark Zuckerberg's 
three or four or five hundred million dollars, depending on the estimate and depending on whether or not you take Georgia's 2021 runoff into account. One wonders what Democratic election money would get spent on here. Are we to pretend that this was an advertising issue? The citizens there in South Texas just didn't have enough exposure to the incumbent congressman. They didn't know where each candidate stood on the issues. There wasn't enough advertising for Dan Sanchez. Or should we take that to mean that they did not turn on the election fraud machine? The special election was called to finish the term of former U.S. Representative Philemon Vela, a Democrat from Brownsville, who resigned in March to work for the lobbying firm Aiken Gump. So a Democrat holding the seat knew that his prospects for reelection were so awful that he didn't even bother finishing the term. That is how bad things are for Democrats in South Texas, as the illegitimate Biden regime allows an open border where a full fledged slave trade is being operated. The citizens of South Texas know that and they know who to assign the blame to for that. The special election was unique in that it was held under the previous lines of the 34th district, which President Joe Biden won by only four percentage points. But redistricting made the district more friendly to Democrats in November when the Democratic nominee is U.S. Representative Vicente Gonzalez from McAllen. Republicans have been eager to flip the seat as part of their new offensive in South Texas after Biden's underperformance throughout the predominantly Hispanic region in the 2020 election. Flores and her allies spent over a million dollars on TV ads in the special election, while national Democrats largely stayed away, arguing it was not worth it to save a seat that will be up again in November and under new, more favorable boundaries. So the Republican establishment spent a bunch of money on this race. The Democrat establishment didn't spend any money on this race. The Republicans flipped this district, a long held Democratic stronghold that had never been won by a Republican. And this is all okay to Democrats because they're running this election again in another five and a half months. So for them, this particular House vote is actually meaningless. They've already got things locked up the way they want in the House. They can pass whatever they want through the House. They have the support of rhino Republicans whenever they need it. So what is the result of this race? And how does that affect the narrative today? Now that the race has been won, Myra Flores, Republican, takes this seat for the first time ever, and we react by saying, look at this amazing red wave. And the ultimate takeaway again is that because this represents the narrative that we would expect, the election must have been free and fair. But I don't buy it. And whether or not you do is up to you. I don't think it makes any sense to assume at any point until we know the election fraud is actually dealt with and the machines are removed. We should not believe at any point that these elections are any more legitimate than the ones we saw in 2022. I'm not saying that's impossible, right? It's totally possible that somehow election fraud was not part of this election. But it's very, very unlikely. Now, we got the result. So that part is good. People came out and showed their support. There is obvious movement away from the Democrat Communist Party across South Texas, across the entire border region of this country. But none of that means that elections are free and fair and that we should stop paying attention to election fraud. Again, and I've been saying this since before the Yunkin election, and you can go back. I said it days before the Yunkin election. The best result for the Uniparty has nothing to do with which candidate is passed through into 
the primary election. The Uniparty is willing to take some hits here and there on that because they're trying to preserve what's underneath all that. And what's underneath all that is the election fraud apparatus that allows the Uniparty to retain control decade after decade after decade. And that's especially important in the era we're in now where they are at a point of win or take all. They're at a tipping point. If they lose power for real, the whole thing is finished. If they lose the election fraud system, the election fraud apparatus, if that all goes away, the global communist movement in the United States is over. It's over. Okay, that's why election fraud is the most important. And that's why the Great Awakening is more important than all of it. Once people understand our elections have been perpetually stolen and the people making these decisions for us are not legitimate and have not been legitimate. That is when the country rises up to make serious change and never allows any of these people to get back in this position again. We need to totally reject the Uniparty. We need to totally reject the global communist agenda. Their primary tools of keeping that in place are the propaganda and censorship regime as represented best by Twitter and the election fraud apparatus. They cannot maintain any power without those things. And I talk about this a lot, but this really is the crux of the issue. It's funny, uh, an attorney friend of mine who I am in constant contact with, she is an incredible researcher and we both share the obsession of figuring out where this global corruption all leads and where it all ends. And she was looking at the World Economic Forum site today and they have a section called Strategic Intelligence. And she sent me a little screenshot from that section where they have under key issues, the new decision maker. And it says the average citizen is being given more decision making power, though that may not always be a good thing. That is the World Economic Forum's perspective on the average citizen and their role in determining their own future. The World Economic Forum knows that the average citizen does not agree with the global communist agenda and the technocratic agenda. They don't want to own nothing and be happy. They don't want a world without borders and constant open immigration. They don't want a slave trade on the southern border of the United States, for instance. They don't want to be chipped. They don't want to have vaccine cards and QR codes. They don't want social credit scores. And the World Economic Forum actually does understand that. Again, they are concerned that the average citizen has more decision-making power. And what does it mean to be an average citizen? Well, if we're talking about the average citizen, that in this context means most people. They are literally admitting that most people are gaining political power at the expense of the political power of the elite as represented by the World Economic Forum. This is them saying that. It's not me interpreting. It's them saying average citizen. What part of that is pro-democracy? They talk about democracy all the time. Doesn't democracy mean the people deciding what they want? Now, I don't go around singing the joys of democracy. I like our constitutional republic much better than any sort of direct democracy. I want nothing to do with that. And obviously, neither do they. They want to claim that sort of representation because they fix the elections. But behind the scenes, they admit that's not what they want. That would be a disaster for them. That would be the end of their power. And in their own documents, as I always say, they admit it. They actually talk about what the real world is and how they'll manipulate it to achieve their ends. And if you strip away all of the nonsense of their political philosophy and 
the terrible, ridiculous goals they're trying to achieve. There are truths underlying that that can be gleaned from looking at their plans. And this is one of them. And if you're not pro-democracy, if you're not in favor of the decision-making power of the average citizen, why would anyone believe that you're concerned with free and fair elections? It makes no sense. But let's take it a step further. We know which politicians and which organizations in our country are aligned with the World Economic Forum's agenda. We know that they are partners of the World Economic Forum, and we know that the World Economic Forum's code of conduct means that you cannot speak against the World Economic Forum or its priorities in public. So not only are all of these politicians aligned with the World Economic Forum's agenda, they are completely captured by it. And not only are they all aligned with the World Economic Forum, they all claim that the election of 2020 was very safe and very secure, the freest and fairest and safest and securest election of all time, and they're all lined up against Donald Trump. Well, how does that happen? And how is it that they are all concerned about an increase in the decision-making power of the average citizen? This is why they are opposed to any leader of any nation that tries to preserve his or her nation's sovereignty in favor of nationalism, in favor of populism. You can read it in their own documents, but we are the threat to democracy. We are the threat to self-governance. Of course not. In that same section of the World Economic Forum website. They write this, the Brexit vote in the United Kingdom also demonstrated that direct democracy can be misused. You got that? Brexit was a misuse of direct democracy, according to the World Economic Forum. So we know that they don't care what the citizens want. And when you understand that, then the thing to think about is under what conditions will they give the citizens what they want? Well, the only condition where people in this kind of power with this kind of agenda, these kinds of motivations and a total lack of caring for what average citizens actually want would nonetheless give the citizens what they actually want. The only condition is that they would get something more important that they want, which makes it worth the expense of giving the citizens what they want or how they usually play it is giving the citizens the illusion of having gotten what they wanted and the hidden corrupt criminal power structure keeps advancing forward. So you apply that to these elections and think about. Why did we get the results we got last night? Apart from the actual voting numbers, forget about those. We have no way immediately the day after of knowing the accuracy or any manipulations here. But people are working on it. And within the next days or weeks, we will understand how these things happened. But what we can know and what we can pull from all this, the truth that we are able to get from what the television has told us is what they would like us to believe and what they would like us to believe above all else is that the elections are free and fair and we should all stop looking, stop talking about it, stop talking about 2000 mules. We can't have another very violent insurrection. The TV has told us that a thousand times. Be happy with your little five and a half month congressional seat before we take it right back from you. Be happy that you took out one of the impeachment guys. Look at that. You got what you wanted. We gave you what you wanted. Now you need to understand that you got what you wanted, which means everything works. But what did they get on their end of the deal? They got Nancy Mace and they got the narrative that all these elections were safe and secure. And I really and truly appreciate 
my friends in this broader movement who are pushing the red wave, making sure that everyone goes out and votes. There are parts of that mindset and that perspective that are correct and that I agree with. I appreciate all of them. I think that they are doing their patriotic best to steer people the right way. But I do not agree that we can overwhelm the election fraud in sheer numbers by just bringing out all of the MAGA vote. We are going to overwhelm the fraud system they've put in place. And again, I just want to make it clear. We can still take back the House and Senate under these conditions, but that win would be meaningless because they will be installing rhinos in those positions. And as long as they have enough Democrats and enough rhinos to move with those Democrats and form majorities, it really doesn't matter whether or not someone has a D or an R next to their name. The goal isn't simply to get Republican majorities so that we can claim in some way that now we are trying to unite the country by doing bipartisan things. And we watch as these brand new rhinos help Joe Biden, the fake president, push his agenda forward. That is what we are seeing in the Senate right now, by the way. There are 10 plus Republican senators who are in favor of changing gun laws to do what Joe Biden and the communists want. And what is the electoral status of those senators? Well, they're either resigning or not up for election this year. Isn't that amazing? Mitch McConnell, the master of Senate machinations, has figured out which of his little pawns he can move over to the D side who won't be hurt by voting in direct opposition to not only the Constitution, but to the wishes of everyone who supports them. And they're happy to do it. They have no problem whatsoever because they are not worried about punishment. They know they will not be held accountable by the voters because as long as the Uniparty stays in power, they are under no threat of losing their elections until they want to. Until they go on out there and act as ringers with the promise of another position or a role at a lobbying firm, or a seat on a corporate board where they take huge payoffs, or book deals. Bernie Sanders took a book deal to back down in the primaries from Hillary Clinton in 2016. He bought a third house. He's been a communist for 60 years, and he's still happy to get rich through that political corruption as long as he gets rich enough. The only thing we can elect in a corrupt system is more corruption. Now, I agree, sometimes it works, and sometimes the Uniparty gets results they didn't want. That happened with Trump in 2016. But they still inflated the popular vote to make Trump look somehow illegitimate. They talked about how Russia helped him. It was all Russia. And they tried to delegitimize him for the entire time, not based on any facts. Now, I am also saying that politicians who the television tells us have won are illegitimate. I am saying the same thing they are saying. I just have facts to back it up. And I have a complete picture of the power structure that puts those illegitimate politicians in office. The picture of what put Donald Trump in office is people actually voting for him because he has a vast, vast majority of the American people on his side. And all you have to understand to realize the truth of that is that there are other Americans seeing and experiencing what you are seeing and experiencing. The central narrative exists to isolate you and make you think you're crazy, make you think that everyone else actually doesn't see what you're seeing. They don't think what you're thinking. Everything's becoming too expensive to buy, but on the television, it says this inflation is transitory. All of this is Putin's price hike. So you imagine that your experience of running out of money is not the nation's experience. It's just yours. It's only happening to you. In fact, you're a loser because it's happening to you. You should have prepared better. You're probably never going to be successful, but you have a chance to be successful. You have a chance to be able to continue feeding your family. Well, what you got to do is start complying. Go get that vaccine, mask up, 
stand with Ukraine and stop repeating the big lie. And then, hey, maybe things will get a little easier. But we're past that point now. People are awake. People are waking up. Now people are beginning to talk about it. I talk about all this stuff openly, by the way, no matter where I am, because people are interested in it and they don't have the opportunity to talk about it because they think they're isolated. We have to fight and win this battle of ideas wherever we are able to fight it and against whomever we are able to fight it. And by the way, I don't only want to describe it as a battle. A lot of people are very confused right now. They thought one thing about the world. Now they're realizing that all of that is wrong. They need a place to turn to. We don't need to battle those people. We need to talk to them. So what I guess I'm saying is we need to embrace that difference of opinion and then discuss the truth within that and let people understand there actually is this other viewpoint and it's not scary. It's not based on no evidence and it's not only bad people that think the no-no things. Let's get back to this article, though, because there's a lot of narrative points in here that are pretty interesting. The dynamic put Democrats in an unusual underdog position in a region of the state they have long dominated, vastly outspent by Flores. Sanchez repeatedly compared the special election to a David versus Goliath fight with himself playing David. Now, that is ridiculous for an incumbent congressman. Despite their downplaying of the stakes, national Democrats ended up spending a little on the race once early voting got underway, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee helped fund a $100,000 digital ad buy with Sanchez's campaign and House Majority PAC, the top Democratic super PAC in House races, launched a $115,000 TV ad buy against Flores. Flores campaigned hard on her story as the wife of a U.S. Border Patrol agent and as a Mexican immigrant whose parents brought her to the United States as a young child. She mostly ignored Sanchez, but took a sharp tone against Washington, D.C. Democrats in general. In one of her TV ads, she said the Rio Grande Valley is under attack at the border and promised not to let the compadrismo cronyism in Washington ruin our communities. Sanchez also played up his background, starting with his upbringing on his family farm and later his long career in public service. He also campaigned as a moderate, calling himself a conservative Democrat and pro-life Catholic. And who wouldn't believe that? Sanchez and his allies did not ignore Flores, painting her as an extremist acolyte of former President Donald Trump due to past social media activity that cast doubt on the 2020 election results and included hashtags for the QAnon conspiracy movement. Oh, no, a QAnon candidate won. And that QAnon candidate is the first Mexican born congressman. Man, I thought QAnon was like a white supremacist movement. This is so weird. It's so hard to understand. It's almost like the central narrative doesn't make sense. And when something doesn't make sense all the time, it's usually a pretty good indication that none of it's true. Flores had the backing of top Texas Republicans, including Governor Greg Abbott and U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, while Sanchez's biggest supporters among elected officials were Gonzalez and Vela. His biggest endorsements were from the person that used to hold the seat and quit and the person who's the candidate for the redrawn district in the fall. Got it. Both Flores and Sanchez were endorsed by their respective state party chairs and vice chairs. But Flores had virtually all the advantages throughout the special election, especially when it came to fundraising. On the only campaign finance report of the special election, she reported $752,000 in contributions compared to $46,000 for Sanchez. Isn't it incredible that they paint her as this semi-establishment figure but also QAnon, the Republican National Party supported her. She has $750,000 in campaign contributions. We're supposed to believe that that is an enormous amount compared to $46,000 for the other candidate. So we are expected to believe that it was the elites, the corporate backers, the establishment throwing all that money into her race, the QAnon candidate that she is. 
It couldn't have possibly been raising money in her local community because she is overwhelmingly supported compared to the Democrat communist she's up against. It couldn't be that. On Tuesday night, Flores most notably carried Cameron County, the most populous county in the district and a longtime Democratic stronghold along the Mexican border. She defeated Sanchez there by about a percentage point after Biden carried the county by 13 points in 2020. National GOP groups were jubilant about Flores' win Tuesday night, especially as they pushed to retake the House majority in November. The chair of the National Republican Congressional Committee, U.S. Rep. Tom Emmer of Minnesota, said in a statement that the race was a referendum on Democrats' reckless policies that created a border crisis, led to record high inflation, and sent gas prices soaring. And yes, it could be partially that. But is that all it was? No. People are not only upset about the issues the GOP establishment is also upset about. Though you can tell an establishment figure because those are the only things they will talk about and they'll say them over and over and over and over and over again. But the head of the Texas Democratic Party, Gilberto Hinojosa, downplayed Flores's victory in a statement saying the GOP could barely squeak out a win given all their financial advantages. Echoing national Democrats, he expressed confidence that Flores would occupy the seat only for a matter of months. In January 2023, this seat will rightfully return to Democratic hands. Hinojosa said, The seat will rightfully return to Democratic hands. Isn't that incredible? The head of the Texas Democratic Party believes that certain districts in Texas belong to Democrats. And he knows that they will win in the fall because they belong to Democrats. What do you think this means about the potential presence of election fraud in that district this fall? Do you think they will turn on the election fraud machine to defeat Myra Flores? It sounds to me like the answer is yes. That's a whole lot of confidence for the head of the Texas Democratic Party to be feeling if a red wave had indeed just washed over him. So again, I understand that the red wave is present. I understand that the country is coming to our side on these issues, and I understand that the country is prepared to vote Republican many people for the first time. Elon Musk posted that he just voted for the first time as a Republican last night for Myra Flores. All of that is good. All of it is real. All of it is something worth being optimistic about and being happy about and being positive about. I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. The only thing I'm saying is we cannot depend on the red wave to get us where we need to be this November. It cannot just by itself defeat election fraud. That's not how the system works. If it was, we would not have Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger as primary winners in Georgia. That just wouldn't be the case, period. My argument isn't that anyone should feel defeated or feel like it's pointless to vote. That's not what I'm saying. But the votes are not being properly counted. The outcomes are being decided by something other than the vote. And we need to keep an eye on all of it. We need to understand all of it. I'm on board with the idea that going out and voting is a show of force for our side. That's important. It's also important to put a real vote count in the mix somewhere if we are able to in the event that things can be audited and that the real true vote can actually be determined. So those are arguments in favor of voting. I'm not telling anybody not to vote, but don't fall under the spell of believing that because we get favorable outcomes from time to time, the elections are now free and fair and safe and secure. They're not. They're still not. They're not going to be until we get this all fixed. We will know it's fixed when the entire country is looking out for election fraud, as we always should have been. The integrity of our vote is the most important thing in a society like ours, in a constitutional republic. The will of the people must be enacted. 
We are not a self-governing nation otherwise. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!